0: Hello and welcome to the Anchor Bible Study Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word with our Wednesday evening Bible studies here in this podcast. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's lesson.
1: Okay, so this next year, what we're going to be studying is basically spiritual warfare, and we're going to go into it at a level that most people don't get into. We're going to have to get into Satanology, demonology, all kinds of things that most people don't approach, because it does, quite frankly, scare people. But you need to understand, in the climate that we're living in, how to deal with these enemies of ours that constantly are attacking us through human beings. And so, this will not be a surface level study. I just want to put that out there. We are going to go in there pretty deep. We have to go into possessions and what that is. Maybe we, we might have to watch some of that so that you have a good understanding of how the demonic and the satanic world works in regards to trying to thwart the plan of God, but also trying to destroy you, destroy your witness, and take you down. What you have to understand is that you're in a war, obviously, but a lot of people don't realize how much they're being attacked and how they're being influenced to go a wall to not be in the fight and not even know they're not in the fight to believe things that are not true but yet they hold true to them and how he works to manipulate people to get even believers to do his bidding and and so it's a it's a very intense study and it's not for the faint of heart please understand we're Uh, We're going to dive in pretty deep on a lot of this, but here's the thing. In the climate that we're in, it is necessary that you know your enemy. That you know what he will do, his tactics, as Paul said, the wiles of the devil. Believe it or not, people don't think that that things are happening to them, but it's happening to them all the time. And right, right now, I would say this in the last few years, I'm seeing high levels of demonic activity among believers and them being affected by that. I'm seeing all kinds of things happening to, um, to obviously the unbelievers, but I've never seen demonic activity at this level, particularly among believers. Okay. And we're going to talk about all those things as we go into it. But the first thing we have to understand about, um, the warfare that we're in is you have to know the, the enemy and you have to know the leader. Now, Um, It's not pleasurable a lot of times to study about Satan because you're getting into some very, very ugly stuff. But you have to understand how ugly it is in order to know the tactics and know the the strategy and what he's trying to do to people. So what we're going to study, first of all, is Satan himself, the leader of this war. And then we'll go into the fallen angels, we'll go into the demonic, and then we'll go into how they affect you and I. So I'll, I'll always be trying to make application along we, as we go. And you stop me if you have questions or whatnot. You can halt me at any time. Just raise your hand um, because it, it's a little tricky. Um, sometimes it gets a little deep and it gets a little scary at, at times uh, about what these creatures are capable of doing. So the first thing we want to study is, is the origin of their leader. You know him commonly called Satan, but that's not his name. Satan describes an activity, what he does. The devil describes the activity that he does. You know, he's a slanderer, he's a murderer, he's in opposition to God, things of that nature. He's the adversary, he is um, the accuser, things of that nature. So when you see the term Satan, that's it's a term that has to do with him being an adversary against God. He's against God. His name that was given to him is Halel ben Shakar in Hebrew. Uh, the, the King James translates this as Lucifer, but Lucifer is not a good translation. His name is Halel ben Shakar, And basically what this is, it, it means um, the son of the morning or son of the dawn is his name. And, um, and, and so at that point, then you have to understand, first of all, how he was created, that's the first aspect of understanding Halal ben Shakar. Okay, so let's go to the passage that talks about his, his beginnings, his creation. And this is what you find in Ezekiel 28, 12 through 15. Now, what we're going to do is parse this out, so I'm going to go rather slowly so that you can understand what kind of creature we're dealing with. And it says that you were the seal of perfection full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. So this is talking, obviously, about him. And the idea of the seal of perfection is the, in the Hebrew terms, the sum. The sum, or the idea is to fill up. Okay? So let me explain this a little bit. God created human beings, created animals, created angels, and... and these, these creatures, angels and humans are made in his image, okay? Animals are not, but they still are creatures that God made. When he made animals, there's a blueprint for an animal. For whatever animal he creates, there's a blueprint. And not all the, I would say this, none of the animals are made to their full blueprint. If that makes sense. So, so, that was on purpose okay even human beings are not made to the full blueprint of them the full blueprint will be a, in a glorified state when we're after this life when we have a glorified body that's the full manifestation of the blueprint of a human being okay so we are not made like uh, made to the full blueprint and obviously, with the sin nature and the fall of everything of that nature, we have we, we, we're way beyond being in the full blueprint. OK, so that's obvious. The angels have a blueprint in the which God constructed them. There are three classes of angels. You have cherubim, the first class, second class seraphim and third class. We just simply call angels or messengers. So it's it's a wrong terminology to give all angels the term angels. That's that's you're talking when you when you actually refer to angels you're referring to the third tier, the third level, the lowest ranked of a, rank of angels. Sorry. Not angels. Elohims. So in the spirit world, spiritual creatures that God created are called Elohims. That's there's plural. Now God's called Elohim because why? God is spirit, but he is a different kind of Elohim. He's a, the self-existing one. He's the El Elyon, the highest Elohim. So angels, the, the word angel is not what you should actually use Hebraically. You should use the word Elohims. Satan is an Elohim. Now, the, your Bible will translate it as God little g, gods. But that's thats really not what's happening. It's just trying to say that they're spiritual creatures that are immaterial. Can they take on corporality? Yes, they can. Angels have the ability, because they're multidimensional, to uh, be also spirit, but then manifest physically in the natural realm as well. Okay, that's the nature of an Elohim. They're multidimensional creatures and spirit creatures. So when you're looking at the Elohims that God created, he didn't, he didn't max out the blueprint for them. Even Michael is not maxed out. Gabriel is not maxed out. None of the angels are maxed out, okay, according to their blueprint. And being maxed out to the blueprint means that everything's 100%. 100% beauty, 100% intelligence, 100% power, 100% this. Everything's like 100%, okay? Does that make sense? So as you can see with humans, humans have different IQs. Humans look different. So we're none of us are maxed out to our blueprint. If you were, you would look different. You would act different. You would think different. And you would be way different than you are now. Same thing with angels. They're not maxed out. And there's a reason for that. But there is one that's maxed out. You know, God's already maxed out. You know that. That's a given. I'm talking about creatures that God creates. There's one creature that he made. To the full of the blueprint. It's Satan. And where do I get that? It's from this text. You were the seal of perfection. And the way you understand this in the Hebrew. Is that Satan when he was created. Was maxed out. To his full blueprint. No creature that God has created. Can say this. Now, God is infinite and eternal. Obviously, he's way beyond this, right? So you don't want to put God in this category. God is everything. He's eternal. All his manifestations are perfect and things of that nature. But when this creature was created, God maxed out his blueprint on day one. He maxed it out. Now, our max out will come later on when we're glorified. That's when we're maxed out. That's one of the reasons that once we're maxed out, we will be higher spiritually than the angels. Right now we're not. We're not higher than the angels. The angels are higher than us. But when we're maxed out, we become higher than the angels and they become our servants in the next life because we're maxed out. Okay. So Satan is maxed out. And the idea is the full it's the it's the idea of filling up to the blueprint. In what ways? Two ways. Full or maxed out in wisdom and full and maxed out in beauty. Wisdom and beauty is maxed out among this, with this creature. Therefore, only God has infinite wisdom, but this creature of all the creatures that God ever created is the wisest of all the creatures. Wiser than humans. Wiser than all the other Elohims, wiser than the animals. And he's the most beautiful creature that God ever created. Now, a lot of people want to, uh, you know, paint Khalil ben as, you know, the, the devil with a pitchfork, and he looks ugly, and he looks grotesque, and, and he's not. He's not. He still retains his beauty maxed out. He still retains his wisdom, although defiled. He still maintains his wisdom. Even though it's defiled, he's still the most wise of all God's creatures. Okay, that being stated, what's the implications of that then? What is the implications of him being the most beautiful creature and him being the wisest of all creatures that God ever made? What's the problems with that? If there is a problem, is that a problem? Can you seek potential problems? Pride. Pride was found in his heart because of these things. So I want you to do an an application to human beings. Some of the most gifted human beings are the most prideful, right? They believe they achieved what they achieved. But you want to say, hey, dude, you were born that way. You didn't earn that. You were born that way. So someone has an IQ of 150, or they're uh, beautiful, or they're a pro athlete. And you want to say, hey, man, you were born that way. Michael Jordan was born Michael Jordan. Okay? Tiger Woods was born Tiger Woods. He was Tiger Woods at five. Which, what do I mean That is. He had abilities inside of him that no other human beings have. Michael Jordan had abilities that no humans have. Very few have. You're born that way, right? And so you're born with that ability. But the problem with with being born with abilities is you become arrogant because you think it comes from you. And it's not. It's coming from God. It's a gift that God bestowed on the individual. Whether that's music, it could be any industry. Uh, You know, this is the problem with Bill Gates. Right? Bill Gates is super smart on computers, but now he thinks he's a god. He thinks he's lording it over the whole world, and he has a better plan for the whole world. That's what gifts can sometimes do to people. Now, I'll, I'll make a point with Israel. If you look at Israel even today, or you look in the past, they're extremely gifted. They're gifted people. The Jews are the most gifted people on planet Earth. But it's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual blessing that comes from God, right? But what do the Jews typically do if they don't acknowledge that that gift came from God? They become prideful. That's why God calls the Jews sometimes stiff-necked people. And he calls us stiff-necked people as well because the gifts start, they start believing that the gifts are, are what they created rather than coming from Yahweh. And it made them stiff-necked in dealing with God. And they don't realize all the stuff they had came from Him. And so the same is true in our personal lives. According to the Scriptures, you know, God gives you the very breath that you breathe. You couldn't exist without Him. He he maintains you. He's the one that gave you the gifts for whatever career you're in. He gave you the gifts for, you know, the, the, the intelligence for whatever you needed to have, for whatever career he called you to do the minute you cross over that line and say i'm a self-made person pride will start start happening in you there is no self-made people people just use the tools that god gave them and worked on it and and were able to achieve things by god's grace and mercy and his tools without the tools they couldn't do anything that's what jesus said abide in me because without me you can't do anything so as you can see this is a problem. It's not God's fault. But you can see the, 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 the maxing out of this individual, what it did to him. Okay. Look at the next verse. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Now, most people misunderstand the passage. They believe, oh, this is a reference to what happened in in Genesis uh, chapter 2 and 3. So this is referring to Genesis 2 and 3. No, it's not. It's telling you his origins. And then it tells you he was maxed out, and then it tells you where he was. Where was he? Eden. Where's Eden at? I mean, I want you to think about this. This is before humans are created and he's in Eden. So the context, the context that Ezekiel is telling you is that this is where he was assigned to. Before humans were created. Angels were created first. Is Eden on Mars? Is Eden on Venus? Is Eden on Pluto? Is Eden, Eden in another galaxy? Is Eden in heaven? It, where is Eden at? It's earth. Eden is always earth. But what earth? You see what I'm saying? Is it referring to the earth, that Adam and Eve that was created for them in that garden of Eden? Or are we referring to a different earth and a different type of eden it's always been the garden of god but the garden of god is then explained in the next verse of what the garden looks like and this is going to differentiate it from the botanical garden of adam and eve every precious stone was your covering the sardis the topaz the diamond the beryl the onyx the jasper the sapphire the turquoise, the emerald uh, with gold. So this is describing what he looks like, okay? So this this is referring to the beauty. He has coverings on him that look like all these precious stones. He's dazzling. He reflects light. Um, he's, that's why he's called the light, uh, uh, um, son of the dawn. He's the light of this, um, i'll come back to eden in just a bit the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes were prepared for you on the day you were created the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes has it doesn't necessarily have to do with him personally it has to do with musical instruments that god when he was created created musical instruments for halal ben shakar to use Musical instruments for Khalil bin Shakar? Why? Humans didn't invent music. Music was already happening in heaven way before humans were created. Angels, well, Elohims, were doing, you know, playing music for God way before you and I. You were the anointed cherub who covers, I established you. Okay, so here's where we're back to Eden, okay? You were on the holy mountain. So there's a holy mountain there in Eden, right? of god it's called the mountain of god you walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones so it's telling you what the ground looked like it's telling you that there there was an eden and this eden had a mountain and that this the ground was not dirt or clay or arets, but the ground was actually stones that looked fiery as the light reflected off of it. Okay? And this these this is where the idea that he walked back and forth in the midst of the stones, that's a Hebraism, which means that he was doing the work of a priest. As a priest ministers in the temple, going back and forth, making sure the candelabra was lit making sure the menorah stays lit, making sure the table of showbread's lit, the priests would go back and forth in their duties. And it's indicating to you that while he's in Eden, his duty is priestly and dealing with music. But they, again, focusing on the garden, we're now looking at a situation where he is functioning in the Garden of Eden before human beings are functioning in that that situation. We are on a different type of earth if the ground is made out of um, fiery stones. We don't walk on fiery stones. We walk on dirt. But they were walking on fiery stones. Again, we're not in heaven because the context is you were in Eden. Eden has never been in heaven. Eden is always on the planet, planet Earth. Now, do we have another clue about this? Yeah. So in Genesis, there's a break between Genesis 1 1 and Genesis 1-2. So it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, so there's the idea that everything was created by God. But then when you jump to verse 2, something happens. Something majorly happens, and most people don't pick up on this. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. So we have a problem all of a sudden. Now, this is where... Evolutionary people came up with the gap theory that, oh, this is the idea that there's long periods of time and this for, allows for theistic evolution. And that's bogus. That's a bad argument. And it, that's not, that's not what the text is saying. The text is saying is that God created everything and then the earth that he uses here in Genesis is without form and void. There's darkness on it and there's water on it. So the idea of being without form or void means that there it's a shell of what used to be it's a shell of something and there's two things of judgment attached to the earth did you pick up on that darkness and water most people think they don't they don't understand the Hebraic background. But anytime you see water like that, and anytime you see darkness, that's a sign of Hebraic judgment. Because what is what's connotated with water, the flood judgment. Darkness is connotated with judgment as well. Darkness came on 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 the land of Israel when Messiah was crucified. Remember that darkness came on the ground on the land because he was being judged for our sin. So darkness is associated. Hell is associated with darkness. It's a form of judgment. So when you see the earth in Genesis, the first thing you notice is that we're seeing a judged earth. That this jud this this earth um, is void and dark and there's water. And God actually recreates out of that judgment a new earth suited for animals and suited for mankind. And it's an earth that has vegetation. It has ground. It has plants. It has herbs. It has fruit trees, vegetables, all this other stuff that the original earth did not have because man is now going to be on this planet. So, when you put together Genesis one and one two, and you put it with this, then you then you get your answer. Apparently, there was an original earth, and it was a gem earth, and the angels and then Halel ben Shakar were assigned to it, and the Garden of God was here, where the Garden of Eden was. We believe it's Jerusalem. It was on a mountain, just like Jerusalem is on a mountain, just like Mount Moriah is on a mountain. It was on a mountain. So we believe that Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives, sorry, not not the Mount of Olives, the Temple Mount structure is where the rabbis believe Adam and Eve were created and believe that's where the Garden Temple was, is right there where Jerusalem is today, on the Temple Mount. Because God's never changed that location. It's always centered around that location. And I think it's a good deduction. Therefore, when you look at where Satan was, he was in the garden, but he, it's not a reference to the Garden of Eden. It's into the original gem garden, original gem temple on earth. And God was there and Satan is walking back and forth and playing music. So what do you think his role was? He was involved in worship. Right? So Sam, take me back to um, the the passage. Okay. So now we understand. Wait a second. Now I get it. I now understand why the, the original earth had to be recreated because something was judged on the original earth. Something came crashing down when something else happened. So let, let's, use a, let's use an analogy with what happened with Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, what happened to the earth? It's cursed. It's, it's ha- habitable by, by humans, but it's harder now to live on earth, right? It's not how it used to be. It's cursed, it got judged. And this is why in Romans 8, all creation groans waiting for the sons of God to be revealed for its own redemption, right? Well, if he did it with Adam and Eve, then it appears that the original gem earth was also cursed because of Satan's rebellion. And this is why in verse 2, you have this watery mass and this darkness because the original Jim earth was judged. And you might say, well, why is the earth judged for what someone did? Well, it's the same concept with Adam and Eve. Why did God curse the earth? Because the earth didn't do anything. Why does the earth get cursed if Adam and Eve fall? Why is that? Why does God have to curse the ground because of Adam and Eve? Cursed to the ground because of you. Yes, that's part of the penalty. It does provide for us. Now it's not going to provide as much now. You're going to have to work for it, for what you're getting. We are created from the earth. So it's part, it's, 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 we're made up of dirt, basically. Yeah. So we're, we're connected to the land. You're right. Good. The sin of man what? And so, but, but, okay. So, so, it defiles the planet just like Israel's sin defiles the land. How are we connected to the land? Well, first of all, we're made from the land. Second of all, it has to do with creation order. And the creation order is this. Whatever is under the authority gets the same penalty of the authority. Does that make sense? if he's going to curse the highest of creation, Adam, then he is inevitably going to have to curse man's dominion. So it's a creation order. If the top guy goes down, the rest goes down too. You cannot have lower levels of authority not being cursed and your your king being put under the rest of creation can't do that because why it breaks authority authority is a major deal so when the top authority goes down god has to take the rest of the dominion and put it under that authority and the only way he can do that obviously is to curse the other aspects of creation to make sure it doesn't still stay above man and so it's an authority issue The animals, if they weren't cursed, would be above us. The creation, the the land cannot be above us. It can't be like it was in Eden and man still be cursed. That doesn't work that way. It's our dominion. So God curses the dominion underneath the authority. Now, take that principle and apply it to Satan. He is the top-notch head of all the Elohims. He's the leader. He rebels causes a third of the angels to rebel with them, and therefore the authority of the original gem earth was under him, and therefore the original earth is now going to be cursed, and under him now, and put underneath him, and basically destroyed. Because you got to remember, unlike Adam and Eve, Hello, Ben-Shakar is way different than you and I. He is a spiritual creature. He doesn't go by the laws of time and space. So his judgment is actually more severe to where God just basically destroyed the original planet Earth and then recreated it for man. And so the issue is where you and I are tied to the land in their, And it's an authority issue. Now, let me ask you this. I want you to do another tie-in. Satan is covered with what? What, is, what does he look like? What is he covered with? Jewels. He's covered with jewels all over him. That's why it makes him so beautiful. In God's economy in heaven, jewels are the most beautiful things. That's why the New Jerusalem is a jewel city. And so he's covered in jewels. But what is the ground made out of? Jewels as well. Notice how he's attached. He's connected to where his authority is. He wears jewels. He walks on jewels. You and I are made out of the ground. We walk on the ground. You see how the authority and the connection with the creation under us is. It's, it was like that with him. The Jewel Earth is connected to his jewels, if that makes sense. He's not made out of that, but he is connected to the gems. Now, I want you to keep thinking about this. New Jerusalem is made out of what? Gems. You will live in a gem-like structure which looks like the original Garden of Eden, not the botanical Garden of Eden. The only thing that's botanical in the New Jerusalem is the tree of life. Everything else goes back to the gem garden. So that's what the New Jerusalem is. It's a gem garden that Satan once occupied. How does the New Jerusalem fit into the judgment of Satan? We end up in a place where he was, was, we end up in a place that's like, Where he once was. We end up in a place where he once was. Like where he once was. Does that make you seeing the connection? We end up in a place that's like where he was king over. He had authority over. He was the king of the gem earth. But we end up in a gem city, in a gem garden. I want you to chew on that there's an element of judgment in our reward of having the new jerusalem how so we get what that he lost got it it's more punishment for satan because he's seeing us these creatures that he tempted into sin and rebellion We get what he wants. We get what he once had. He, and when you look, when we study the five I wills in Isaiah, I will ascend on high. I will have my throne above everyone. I will be above the Elohim's. I will get what God has—the gem garden, the temple gem garden. I will get it. And lo and behold. Messiah says to you and I, I go to prepare a place for you. And where I go, I will come for you. That where I am, you may be also. And then you find out that this place that Jesus goes to prepare is a gem garden to show Satan, if you would have submitted, if you would have kept your place and not rebelled, as I'm showing you with these humans, I'm giving them what you once had. You wanted it by Ill, illicit means and by sinful means and you wanted to take over. I'm giving it to them freely as a gift, as a reward. Boom! You talk about in your eye. You can't get better than that. Everything Satan wants or wanted And probably still wants. Messiah says, I give it to these, these, these creatures made out of clay that I redeemed. Do we sit on thrones in heaven? Yes. One of the rewards for the, for people is that as I sat on my father's throne, I will allow you to sit on my throne. That's exactly where Satan wanted to be on the Messiah's throne. The Messiah shares it with us. You will be above the Elohims. He wanted to be above all the stars of heaven. The stars refer to Elohims. You and I will be above the stars of heaven, above the Elohims, when we're in the glorified state. Everything he wanted is given to you and I. As believers, wow! You can't write that. You can't write that up. No one could make that up. Okay, let's go back. He looks like these 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 things. Now, the workmanship of your timbrels—that's the the musical instrument. So obviously, it tells you that he was involved in the musical worship of the Trinity. So he is the leader of. of of worship in heaven and that obviously that's a major major authority position to be the leader in heaven but that means that he is right there by the throne that he's in close proximity to the throne now here's what you have to understand in the economy of heaven in the economy of heaven the closer you are to the throne the more important you are okay the further away from the throne the less important you are and this is where the term comes from. Some will be great in the kingdom of heaven and some will be least in the kingdom of heaven. And the least, yes, you see Jesus, but you're, you don't serve him close to proximity to him. You might serve him out here in these outer rings, but the ones who get the most reward are those who serve Messiah closer to the throne. And you can see this with the, the different angels. The angels that are, that the, keep saying angels the elohims that are created there are three groups of elohims the first group of the cherubim the cherubims are the closest to the throne they're the guardians of the throne and therefore their importance and power and majesty is above all the other elohims then the second level are the seraphs the seraphs fly around the throne and say holy 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 but they don't get close enough like the cherubim do And then beyond them, the outer circle are the messengers. They typically appear as young men when they appear physically, but the messengers serve as the outer ring. Okay? We call them angels, but really they're the messenger Elohims. Okay, so there's the concentric circles. Okay, so now let's go to the next passage. You were the anointed cherub who covers. So what does that tell you? What kind of class of Elohims he's in? He's in the top class of angels or elohims the cherubs there's these are the ones that guarded the entrance to the garden of eden once adam and eve got kicked out remember that they saw cherubs that's why when you look at early sumerian or mesopotamian architecture they will have cherubs and they knew what cherubs looked like all over their architecture In fact, the Jews knew what cherubs looked like because they had it in the architecture and in the curtains of the tabernacle and the temple. They they knew what cherubs looked like because people had seen them. They were guardians. And then obviously Moses saw them when he constructed the uh, the tabernacle. He modeled the tabernacle and the construction of the ark and the cherubs on it according to what he saw in heaven. He saw the cherubim. And so Satan is part of this class. Now, let me help you understand the classes here. Michael is called an archangel, which means that he's the head of the messengers. So Michael is not a cherub. He is not a seraph. He is a messenger. And because of that, he's on the third level of angels, so to speak. So obviously, a seraph is greater than a messenger, And then a cherub is greater than all of them in more power, majesty, beauty, and whatnot. So when we call Michael an archangel, an archangel means he's the head of that group. Michael is the head of all messenger angels. We don't know who the ark seraph is. We don't know that. Um, But we do know who the ark cherub is. Guess who? It's Satan. He is the ark cherub. Because notice what it calls him, the anointed cherub. So this word anointed cherub is the same word where that refers to the Messiah. Messiah, M- Mashiach in Hebrew means anointed one. Satan is the Mashiach cherub. He's the anointed cherub. He is the ark cherub but there's something in that name that he's associated with. He's the messianic cherub. Keep chewing on that. I'll come back later. Who covers. Now, this is interesting. Cherubs are guardians of the throne. And so there right now, there are actually four cherubs that we know of in scripture that are guarding the throne as we speak. And, um, and um, there's four of them right now. It says here that he is the, the cherub who covers. And so the question then is, covers what? Covers the throne. Okay, so when you look at even medieval thrones, when you look at ancient thrones, Mesopotamia, Fertile Crescent, all these, these kings, pharaohs, all these other people that had thrones, what you will notice that the thrones are patterned off of God's throne in a lot of ways. What do you mean? God's throne obviously has guards around it, and it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a throne, but every throne, you can look this up on the Internet, will have a canopy over the top of it. There's a canopy that goes over the top. So if you look up medieval, uh, canopies for thrones, you'll see what I'm talking about. They have a canopy that shoots out of the wall that covers the top of the throne. Okay. So in God's throne, he had, he has four down below, guarding the sides, all four directions. And then above, there was Halal ben Shakar, who was the canopy cherub. So God's sitting here, and the canopy cherub is above protecting the top. Four sides are protected, the bottom is protected, and then the top is protected by this cherub. I wonder if that caused any problems. Not that God caused them, but I wonder if that was a problem for Satan. So I want you to think about the implications of this. God's using him in worship. He's the ark cherub. He's maxed out. And he's above the throne. He's looking down. He's supposed to be protecting the throne from attack from above. The other cherubs are protecting the attack from other places. All the directions, but he protects the throne from above from being attacked. Then you have the other seraphs. Uh, that are the throne carriers that are protecting the bottom of the throne. So he's protected always, even from above. Satan is supposed to be looking outward to protect the throne from above. But then he starts looking down. So instead of doing what he's supposed to be doing, looking above to protect it from outside, he's looking down. So when you see the throne of God in the book of Revelation, there are four cherubs and it's missing one. It's missing the canopy cherub. And God has just left it that way. Why do you think God left it that way? To show you and I, this is what happened to the canopy cherub. We're missing a part. And it's because of what he did. At that point, nothing. At nothing. But at, at, it's, it's, a, it's a sign of protection. And this is where you have to understand that God does things even though he doesn't need it. But he's sending a message through that. So why does New Jerusalem need walls? No evil can come in there. Why would would you put walls around the New Jerusalem? You tell me. Why would you put walls by by a city that doesn't need to be defended? True. It's the messaging. It's the messaging that you have to see. God God doesn't need protectors. Right? He doesn't need protectors. He doesn't need a wall. He does that for us. It's a picture of his protection that once you're in this city, nothing can touch you anymore. It's a The wall is a real wall, but it's a symbol of God's protection. Now, with the, the, the cherubs, why did God do that? Because there was no attacks. But it's for human beings when we read it and we see the throne... We say, oh, there's nothing that can happen in heaven. Everything is protected. Everything is guarded. And no evil can come in because it's well protected. That does something psychologically to us and spiritually to us when we see images like that as human beings. It gives us comfort. Ah, oh, It's a place where I am protected. Because we're out here in the world, we're unprotected. People mess with us. The world messes with us. Disease messes with us. But there's a place that's protected. It has a great wall. I don't have to worry about intruders. Do you understand throughout thousands of years how much a wall meant to the ancient, ancient civilizations? It was everything to them. You ha- if you're going to live in a city, you have to have a wall, right? It's, b- it's built into the human mindset. You have to have a wall for protection. And then when you see a king that is well-guarded and has a great army, what do you think? This one that I'm, this king that I'm following can protect me. Look how well and powerful the army is. See, this is the same thing that we talk about with government. We, we, we want a strong military. Why? Why do you want a strong military? What does it do when you have strength like that? It protects its citizens, but the citizens have peace of mind to know that any attack that comes from the outside, we are well-equipped to handle that. So nothing can invade, nothing can hurt, we're well-equipped. So when God shows that he has his angels in position at, at, the, at the ready to fight whatever needs to be fought, it gives peace of mind to human beings. Ah, we follow a king that's about our protection. He doesn't allow evil to come in. He doesn't allow evil to invade we are well protected so it's a it's more of a a spiritual application for us rather than a real threat per se it's all symbolic in that sense but now you can see why does the throne need protection now because you do have enemies and they will attack the throne they will attack the throne at the midpoint of the tribulation right And so the guardian cherubs and the rest of the seraphs and all the other angelic orders will come and fight against the rest of the third of the angels that are going to make a run on the throne. He's going to try to seize it from God. He really thinks he can seize it. And an archangel, Michael, will fight him off and defeat him. And that's another story. How does a third-level angel, messenger angel, able to defeat a cherub? That's right. It's because God's empowering him to do it. That's why. If, so you got to think that, like, you got beat by someone way weaker than you. What does that tell you about yourself? Right? You got you, you got beat with somebody that's you know a hundred times weaker than you. And Michael, the archangel, was able to defeat you. Yeah, yeah, because he was empowered by God, and you can't defeat God's power, Satan. I can use the weakest vessel and destroy you. That's what. It's, that's the message. I can use the weakest of the angels and destroy you, just like that. Okay, I know it's a lot. Any questions so far? Clear as mud, right? Um, there's a lot. We still have to go through all of this. But this is your enemy. And you are promised right now what he wanted. Do you think that rubs him raw? do you think that mindset increased his hatred of these creatures of clay you better believe so you better believe because you are given what he lost or what he wants his hatred towards you is nothing that like you have ever seen But you see it in glimpses when they want to kill people on this planet with eugenics. He wants every human to die. Every one of them. He doesn't want to spare any one of them.
0: Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Anchor Bible Study Podcast. We hope that this lesson is a blessing to you and helps grow you towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. Rock Harbor Church has another podcast called Anchor Sunday Sermons. And it's filled with past and present messages in Revelation, Genesis, and Exodus. If you enjoyed this message and would like to hear it, please check the description of this episode or search your favorite podcast streaming services for The Anchor Sunday Sermons. Support for both of our podcasts comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws nearer.